Good man, bless. Thank you. Well, good morning. And lovely, lovely to be back up here again with you. Um, God, I say when David asked me to do this, God had been ministering to me just literally before that. And I thought to myself, well, if this was what God said to me, then we shall bring that to the, to the beloved of our church. I wonder if you turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 8. This is a piece of familiar scripture. Romans chapter 8, and it's verses 28 to 32. 28 to 32. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 32. And here Paul, this is what Paul's saying in this. He said that, and we know that, um, and we know that all, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to conform to the likeness of a son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called those he called. And he also justified those he justified, and he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is with us, who can be against us? And he who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, how will he also will he not also along with him graciously give all things? That's a really famous very familiar piece of scripture. And in this year, what God really was putting on my heart was God's purpose for us in your life, right? For, for you in your life. And there's three headings. And I'm sorry, I'm an old-fashioned uh, preacher, and this is what I was taught years ago, the three points. The three points. And these are the three points I want to sort of lean on today. The purpose, the, the, the perseverance, and the privilege. Now, three great... Three great lines I felt when I was going through this. Did you ever find yourself struggling to find your God-given purpose in life? There's not a Christian I know hasn't done that. We all have. We struggle to find God's purpose in our lives. And you're not alone. You really aren't. And even for long-standing Christians, this question pops up many times in your walk for the Lord. And over the years, for me personally, it has come up time and time again. And it's always knowing exactly what God wants for you to do. I love R.T. Candley. He's one of my favourite, favourite writers. And his definition on wisdom is getting God's opinion. God's wisdom is getting God's opinion. And really, that's what he's saying to us. So in Romans chapter 28, um, we read that that wonderful verse. You know, um, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And R.A. Torrey, he called this verse a soft pillow for a tired heart. It's a soft pillow for a tired heart. There's just so much in this little verse alone and it's so compact into it all. And it has a lot to say about the providence of God. And sometimes people misinterpret what that actually says. You know, you get people coming up, oh, you know, there's the providence of the Lord, you know, God works through all things and all that. But really what God is really saying to us here, there's a purpose that he has designed you for to do on this earth. And he really wants you to do that. And 
And the Bible clearly teaches that God is sovereign. And there's no doubt about that. And he's in charge. He's in control. And it's not the luck of the draw. It's not events in your life or mine have nothing to do with the draw um, and, and the short straw and all the rest of it. It's not a Christian lottery of some sort. The reality is that God has a game plan, a big, massive game plan. And we're a part of that. And he's sticking to it. And when the word good comes into this, it is used not in the earthly comforts that we have. It's his conformity in Christ. He wants us to conform to what he wants us to do for him, for the good. Effectively, today the church will largely be led by the Generation X and the Millennial. Um, Us baby boomers are now beginning to the stage where we're going to retire. We're stepping back more. Baby boomers, uh, for, for you that don't know out there, the baby boomers are from 1946 to 1964. That's me. Um, there were 17 million children born in that time, and that's why they call us the baby boomers. Um, and they call us that simply because they said that we're, we were very radical and we're also um, rebellious, apparently. Um, I've never been like that in my life. Um, so the baby boomers are now stepping back to the Generation X um, and the others that are coming along, the, millenn- the millennials and all the rest of it are in the background. They're stepping up, they're taking leadership roles and they're involved. Now I was interested to read um, on on the Evangelical Alliance, which I have a lot of time for, and they had done a a project called Building Tomorrow's Church Today. And they looked at the millennials around about now 2014 and they had done research that proves that not all young adults are leaving the church in droves. And here's one thing, and I, and I really was intrigued by the fact is that they are passionate about prayer. And not only that, but they're passionate about sharing their faith. This is what they found out through that research. But also, they are very, very generous in giving. And I was really intrigued by that. You know, you hear some really awful things being said about the younger generation today and about the snowflake and all the rest of it and how they're all, you know, oh... I can't do this. You know, it, it, there's just a lot of stuff goes on with young people today. And I'm really, in, I am so heartened by the fact that they are so good about sharing their faith. And about wearing it on their cuff and getting out there and going doing it. And it is really, really good. But there was one little statistic that made me smile. And it's this one. And it says that... Um, they are, um, 23% feel that the older people in their church struggle to relate to them. The older people in the church um, struggle to relate to them. Well, I just wanted to say that here's one older guy that has no problems relating to the younger generation. And you know why that is? Because you're all nuts and so am I. <laughs> That's really, that made me laugh so it did. And yes, I understand there are older people. They just don't get the younger folks, do they? And, you know, going, we start singing these songs and they're going, oh, get me back to them old hymns. Love them old hymns. You know, all this new stuff. Terrible. But the one thing, the one thing that I noticed in the, the statistics and all of that was that the millennial folks, um, the, the one thing that they did say in all of this is they, they, they lack mentors. And that's important. The older generation become great mentors. I can tell you the reason I am the person that I am today with Christ is because of the mentors I had in the past. 
the people who were older than me, and I mean miles older than I am, that took their time to sit down with me and say, you know what, Nigel, here's what you should be doing. I remember being at a meeting one night when I was in the leadership of the church at the time and uh, I was the youngest there. Good Lord, I was youngest by miles. I don't even know how I managed to be on. But I was full of enthusiasm. We've got to do this. We've got to sing these new songs. I think we should have a worship band. I think we should be doing this. And all these old people are going, looking over their glasses. And one guy said to me, you're completely off the wall, Nigel. You know, these people can't handle this stuff. And I remember getting frustrated one night at a meeting. Oh my goodness, I was so frustrated. And the words that I used were not good words in the way that I said it. I didn't mean it the way that I said it, but it sounded terrible. And a lovely, godly Christian came to me afterwards and he said, Nigel, it's not what you said tonight was the problem. It's how you said it. And he was right. Mentors, the people who have a wonderful purpose and their purpose is to encourage you to come and do things for him. And it is incredible. Older people in the church have a great role to help in other people and, and to encourage them and to bless the younger generation and to steer them in the right direction and to help them with their attitudes towards the, to, to the Bible and to praying and doing stuff. Again, uh, my favourite writer, R.T. Kendall, he, once asked, he was once asked this question, um, what would your purpose in life be? And he replied, to know that my sins are forgiven and to know that you are pursuing your inheritance. Amen to that. Absolutely amen to that. Is to know what God has has a plan for you. Your service is essential in the body of Christ. And God wants the whole family to grow in maturity. He really does want us to grow and to continue to grow. And that's what happens when people are gifted in different ways. And they must contribute that. God has blessed you to be a a gift to the church. He has blessed you with gifts to use to the glory of his name. And that's the purpose that he has given you to be in the church. There's one thing that really ticks me off. And I see it when I was out preaching a lot. Gifted people sitting doing nothing in the church. Oh my goodness, that really rattles me. And it angers me to the, to the very point sometimes I feel like sitting down beside that person and saying, do you realise that God gifted you? Do you realise that God didn't just gift you, he has asked you to do a great job and you're sitting there and you're watching everybody else doing it? I remember one night walking through my former church and I was watching a guy and he was, um, he was stacking chairs, masses amount of them, and I thought, oh, good Lord, look at him, he's doing that on his own. And this little selfishness said to me, I wasn't organising this tonight for a change. And I wasn't involved in this and I'm tired and I'm going home. And I walked out to the door and the Lord said to me, you're really going to let that man do that? And I went back in and took my coat off and I helped him stack the chairs up. And he was so grateful for that. How often have we watched people struggle? You know, friends, as Christians, we should never watch another brother or sister in the law struggle. Never ever let them struggle that's wrong if you see them and you know that they're struggling then go help them absolutely vital and important god has gifted you i remember seeing a guy and this guy was really blessed to to be working with young people blessed to be able to speak to them and, and communicate communicating with young people is a gift on its own you know it really is and i love it and i remember um a way back oh good lord it must be about 22 years ago a minister came to me and he said, Nigel, um, 
we need a Sunday school teacher for the older kids. And I seen it being advertised up in the church as anybody who would like to come and do this job. And I was going, oh, I like my Sunday afternoons lying on the couch watching TV. It's really, really nice. I have a wee snooze, a wee 40 winks. It's great. I don't think I really want to do this. And he came to me and he said, Nigel, would you mind doing it for a year? A year. I stood looking at him going, eh, you know, trying to desperately think of an excuse not to do it. I really was struggling when he's looking at me going, that's for you, Nigel, isn't it? And I goes, oh, yeah, you know, David, I don't, um, all right, all right, okay. 20 years I ended up doing that job. 20 years of ministering to young people every Sunday afternoon. It was a great job and I loved it. And I loved it. And I loved it. And I loved it that much. You know what? That God blessed me to be able to teach young people about the scriptures. Now we did mad stuff, okay? <laughs> now I'm not saying it was like all sensible because I'm not sensible, right? We did mad stuff. You know, we had the best of biscuits. We had the best biscuits. You don't bring cheap biscuits to young people. They're so pernickety. <laughs> oh my goodness, they're so pernickety. And you know what? There was a rumour going around that I had out of the eight biscuits, which is a lie covered in the smoke of hell. Okay? <laughs> Caitlin Miller, lie covered in the smoke of hell. Sir Alan, smoke, smoke of hell. Yeah? Lie. I never ever give anybody out of the eight biscuits. Anyway. <laughs> If they were there, they were there. They sneaked in somewhere. It wasn't me. Every Sunday I would, I, would, I would talk to the young people about the wonders of the Bible. And it was a purpose that God brought into my life. He said, Nigel, I want you to do this. It's kicking and screaming time into some of this stuff. I know you're going to look at it and you're thinking, that's preparation time I have to do. That's time I've got to work on stuff. And mind you, I didn't go out and get self-help books. You know, the ones that you buy in the faith mission and you can go down through them every week. I went into the scriptures and said, Lord, what will I teach these young people? What will I do? We used to do um, some of the things that we'd done. They'd done the Ten Commandments backways from ten down to one. It was like doing the, you know, the, the top 40, you know. It was great. I loved it. And it was great going down through each and every one of them. And then once we did the lesser known characters of the Bible. Now that was interesting. Because these people never heard of people like Jeroboam the king who was a, a nasty piece of work. And we went through a whole pile of this stuff with them. And then we would do controversial subjects like abortion and same-sex marriages. And one day I thought I would wind these young people up because I love winding them up. It's really good crack. And I said to them, Genesis, Adam and Eve. It was a woman's fault. And all the women, all the girls in the place all stood up. How dare you? How dare you say that about us? It was their fault. It was all your, the females, it was all your fault. Oh my goodness, that day was great crack. Oh boy, I tell you, I've never seen so many cross young people in my life. It was absolutely amazing. <laughs> Do you know what? God calls you to a purpose. The purpose. And when he brings you to that purpose, he, we have different gifts. In Romans chapter 12, verse 6, it says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us, to each of us. If you look that up, Romans chapter 12, verse 6 and 8, and it says, If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. And then it says, If you are serving, then serve. It's, if it's teaching, then teach. Good brother here, great teacher. 
If it is encouraging, then give encouragement. That's what I love to do. I love to encourage people. I love to encourage people to get involved and do stuff. If I can see you're gifted, if I see that you've got something, I go and sit down and talk with you and say, you know what? The Lord could use you. Then it says, um, if it's giving, then give generously. You know, I've met some really generous people in my time. And I've watched them give and no one knew what they were doing in the background. And I've watched them bless people's lives who are in trouble. And it says then, if it is to lead, then do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, then do it. You're all gifted. And here's the thing, right? This is amazing, right? And this will be a revelation to you. You're all gifted people in this church. You're all gifted people in this church. That, to me, is incredible. When I walked through the door for the very first time in this church, I thought to myself, these are gifted people. Gifted. And with the, with the, um, the purpose comes perseverance. Because I'm going to tell you something, and, and I'll tell you what, as a long-standing 37-year-old Christian, um, not in age, by the way, but as in walking with the Lord, um, I think my age is a little bit less than that, but you know I'm supposed to be 55, but I'm not really. Um, perseverance, that's something you're going to have to learn very quickly, folks, because I'll tell you what, when you have a purpose and God calls you to it, you're going to get dog's abuse. Satan's going to come looking for you. He's going to come looking for you. What happens when your dreams shatter and you have to find purpose? God has for you in your life. You're in full flight. You're really loving it. You're saying, I know this is what God wants me to do. I'm, I'm really into this. I'm just loving it. And you get a real digging from Satan. You get a digging, oh, unreal. You get, you become like a punch bag. You wouldn't put, is it, you didn't come up right, okay. You ever see those little punch bag things that come, you know, like the little book of the clown thing and has sand in the bottom of it and you punch it and it goes away down and it comes back up again. You ever see one of those things, yeah? Yeah, the most, Useless toy I've ever seen in my life, right? But, I mean, it's a great example of what I mean. You punch the thing and it goes away back down and then it comes back up. That's what you have to become when you, when you find a purpose for God and what you have to do from this kingdom because you become a punch back. You ever hear of midnight architects? Have you ever heard of midnight architects? The know-it-alls? Oh, you want to meet a midnight architect. Oh, I love midnight architects. When I used to be a plumber out on the jobs and you'd be doing it and you'd be setting it all up and someone would come in in the night when, you're, when you've left for the day and the next morning the, the house owner comes and says, uh, my brother-in-law was here last night and he says that you're not doing that right. Oh, really? So your brother-in-law's a plumber, is he? No, 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 he's not actually. Is he a builder? No, 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 no. Is he an electrician? No. Is he in the building trade at all? No. What's he do? Oh, he works in a factory. He says he works in the stores. Ah, oh, I see, right. He can tell me my job, but he doesn't know anything about it. You're going to get people who are going to come up to you when you're in the middle of your job in the church and telling you that's not the way you should be doing that. I don't think you should be doing that. That's the people that really tick me off the most. It's the one that I have to find the most grace for. I have to find places where I have to be gracious to people. Listen, thank you for your for your words and thank you. I'll take that into consideration. And you're throwing your eyes up in the air as you're walking away from them going, really? <laughs> Psalm 73 verse 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, 
but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is your strength. That's where you have to go get it from. See, when you're getting it tight and people are giving you the best kicking of your life, and you know what? Sometimes Christians are the best people to give you the best kicking. Honestly, they really are. The, 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 the I know it all brigade are great at coming up and telling you how to do the job, right? I know it all brigade are brilliant. Uh, see when they're not there in the midst of it all. And there's one thing I want to say to you, right? When you find the purpose that God has for you, when you find that and you're getting it tight and you have to turn to God for the strength, do not become a doormat for people to wipe their feet on. You don't spell Christianity. You don't spell Christian M-A-T, okay? You seek respect from people. You do not allow them to wipe their feet on you continually. I have saw Christians who have been, honestly, have been treated absolutely abysmally with the most vitriotic approach from some people and I've watched them being wiped, their feet being wiped on them and I've had to sit down with some people who are in floods of tears saying, Nigel, I can't do this. I can't continue this. This is terrible. You don't let people treat you with disrespect. In love, you go to someone and you say, listen, I come to you in love. Oh my goodness, the love part is the hardest bit. The love part is really the hardest I've been there and I know what this is like. I'm sorry if it really, if I come to you and, and I'm feeling it and I really have felt it in the past. But let me give you a little word of advice what to do. Just come back a little bit from it, okay? Seek the Lord in this. Seek other people that you know will pray with you. Go and talk to them and say, look, will you pray with me? Will you, will you lift me in prayer this week on this? Will you lift me for a month in prayer? Go get a cup of coffee and a slice of cake. It always works for me. It always works for me. Talk to the Lord. A cup of coffee and a slice of cake. Optional, by the way. You don't have to do that. It's optional. But it works for me. But don't become a doormat for someone, okay? And you know what you're going to do? You're going to fail. I want to tell you that, right? You're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. It's going to be the hardest thing in the world for you. But the mistakes and the failings, that makes you the person that you are. It's not that you're going to be a failure completely because you're not. The failures and the knocks... They make you the person that you are today. Because that's made me who I am today. Are you going to make mistakes? Of course you are. Are you going to fail? You are. The purpose. The perseverance. You've got to persevere. No matter what's going on around you. You know all, all the stuff that's coming at you? Persevere. You know the punch bag? The one when you go back down, come back up again. You get knocked down again. Come back up again. Just keep doing it because God will bless you. God will bless you. I love this piece of scripture. Perhaps maybe you should read this one. And I'm going through um, the message. I love what Eugene has done on this one. And I love how he says it. The message isn't something I read very often, but I love to go back to it every now and then. But 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. My grace is enough. It's all you need. That's what... That's what Eugene says in this one. He says, my grace is enough. It's all you need. And then he goes on to say, my strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. I forget about the handicapped. I started appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness and now I take um, limitations in stride and with good cheer 
and these limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take it over. And I say, and so what? The weaker I get, the stronger I become. The weaker I get, the stronger I become. That's because your weakness, isn't that? Your weakness is God's strength. Because that's what it really, it took me a long time to learn that. Because I would watch people who are unbelievably gifted. I watch people who can, you know, just literally read stuff and read through the Bible and get it just like that. I hate instructions. I don't know about you, I hate instructions, right? I sit and read them going, oh, my Merlin's brilliant with instructions. She can just read and go, ah, that's how you do that. My brother David, he's brilliant with instructions. He just reads them and goes, yeah, here's what you do. I read them about three times and go on. What's that saying? Why, do they, why can't they make it plain for me? I love plain. I tell you the best instructions. You know the pictures? You know the ones without words? I love them ones. Yes. Now I know what to do now. I know how to do this. And sometimes I'd say to the Lord, it used to be when I was plumbing because you had a lot of things to put together, like shower and boot, you know, all these bits and pieces and things to put together. And you're sitting with them all out. And I used to set them all out in little bits and stand with the instructions going, oh yeah. Lord, why can't you make me smart enough to be able to read this? And God says, your weakness, Nigel, you're my best strength. My best strength. A man who was the president of a bank um, was visited one day by a young man in the bank who was moving up the chain. And the young man was in line to become the CEO. And he went in to see the, the, the president of the bank and he said to him, uh, and he said to him, tell me, he said, how do I become a good leader like you? A man says, by making right decisions. But how do I make right decisions? The CEO of the bank says, experience. He said, that's what you need. He says, experience. But that's precisely my problem, the young man said. How do I get experience? He says, by making wrong decisions. By making wrong decisions. Along the way, you're going to make bad decisions. There's no doubt, oh, good Lord, I could tell you many of those. I've made some bad decisions in my times. I've made mistakes and I've failed. The failures sometimes for me have been the hardest things to really cope with. And you look at God and you say, Lord, I've failed here. I've really failed you on this. But don't let that discourage you because you've got to allow those things to come in to make you the person that you are. If you, if, if you make mistakes, don't walk away from the work that God has given to you. Be the punch back, come back up again. You know, if you're struggling with that, here's my advice to you. Go to Christians around you and ask them to pray with you. They will lift you when you can't pray for yourself. I've been to that place. My dear friend Pete, he's a minister now. Pete Smith, I don't know if you know him or not. Pete Smith is a great guy. I remember one day ringing Pete and saying, Peter, I can't go with you tonight to that meeting. He says, Nigel, the Lord's been telling me about you. He says, Peter, I can't even pray for myself. He says, listen, Nigel, I'll carry you. Don't pray. Let me pray for you. That's the most important place to be. When you failed and you're on rock bottom and you can't get up off the ground, 
David talked about lying on the, on the ground with your face and the carpet and your hands out. That was me that day. I do that quite a lot. I get on the ground with my face on the carpet and my hands out like this. And I'm saying, Lord, come to me here. Here I am. I'm down rock bottom. I need you here, Lord. Come and help me out. Here I am. I'm at your mercy, Lord. So you've got the purpose. You've got perseverance. Then comes the privilege of all that. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, it says, For you have given the privilege of serving Christ. For you have been given the privilege of serving Christ, not only by believing in him, but also suffering for him. Oh boy, that is really true. There is indeed a great privilege in serving God. But it's not all the rosy garden sometimes that you can make it out to be because it's not. You know the privilege of serving God. There's one thing I want to offer to you advice on one thing. And this is one thing. God knows you because he made you. All right. But he also knows you need downtime. He knows you need rest. He knows you need to back off. And you need time out. This week I had the privilege. You know the lovely thing about my job as a salesman? I get to talk. <laughs> Love it. I get to talk. And I get paid to talk. Whoa. And this week I get, to meet, I get to meet the most incredible people. And this week a man came in and he was a, a born again, lovely believer. And we, we talked and I didn't realise because it's, you know, him and I would do a lot of business together and I didn't realise this until he mentioned something. I said, are you a believer? He said, yes, I am. And we got talking. And the church that he used to be in, he was telling me what they used to do. He used to be the guy that was, the, and the, he, he headed up the welcoming team and the new believers. And he said he would go into church on a, on a Sunday morning at a quarter past eight. And he said they had various meetings up to, to the actual service. And he would be there for that services. And there's two of them, two services. And he said he would be coming home at a quarter past one, half one-ish. And then he said he'd be back at the church at half four. And he wouldn't be leaving until about nine o'clock. And I could empathise with him. Because in my former church that I used to be in, I used to be on the, on the worship team. We'd be there for about quarter past nine, practicing, getting ready to go. Then I'd be up at the PowerPoint, sorting that all out and getting it ready to go for the team who were coming in to do it. And then I'd be back down again, organizing stuff around the front to make sure everybody was in, in, in place to go. And then off we would go. And then after church, I would be down for the tea and coffee. And then I'd be setting out Sunday school because it was at three o'clock. And then I'd be rushing home and I'd be home possibly about quarter past one maybe. And then we'd be getting dinner and we'd be sitting down to dinner and then by a quarter, twenty to three, we were leaving the house and I was frantically getting ready for Sunday school and sometimes, unfortunately, I was preparing for it, which I shouldn't have been, but I was. And I'd be in for Sunday school and then I'd be setting up for it and getting ready to go. And then at a quarter past four, half four-ish, tidied up and out, home and then preparing for the Sunday night, and I'd be doing worship again on Sunday night, and I'd be back out again for quarter past six, six o'clock maybe, one back home again to about maybe nine o'clock. But in between that time in Sunday school, I'd be getting all the sound equipment on the keyboard up into the upper room, ready for the evening service, and I was doing it on my own. And then afterwards I was getting that all taken apart and bringing it back down and putting it back in the church. You see Sunday morning, or Monday mornings and going into work, I was wrecked. I was completely jiggered. I was just completely 
so tired that I could, couldn't barely even do my job. And by lunchtime, I'd be going to the car for a half an hour's 40 winks. And I had to set my alarm because if I didn't, I wouldn't wake up. I'd be still there by three o'clock sleeping. <laughs> you know what? You, to serve the Lord is, is difficult, you know, and it really can be at times, but it's a rewarding thing. I love it. I love serving God. I've watched so many young people become great. I've watched so many young people I've seen coming through Sunday school do great things and I'm looking forward to seeing them doing even greater things. Perhaps, you know, if you're serving the Lord and you think, what am I doing here? At one time I was going through the Sunday school thing again. Have I ever done anything for young people? Have I actually ever, ever done anything to help them? It's the privilege of serving. It really is. And yes, you do. Because you know what? Someday you're going to be standing in heaven and someone's going to walk up to you and say, Um, you were my Sunday school talk one time and you said something you know what it changed my life one day you could be preaching somewhere like this and someone could be listening to this on the podcast and saying you know what one day I was listening to the podcast and I heard what you said and it changed my life you could have given money to help someone they're going to walk up and say listen you 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 don't know me but you know what the gift that you give that changed my life it's the privilege of serving God It really is the privilege of serving God. So how can you serve in that purpose that God has brought you into into this world for? Because God has brought you into this world and he's gifted you and he's blessed you to do something for him. Tony Evans, um, in his book, Called for a Purpose, a great book, by the way, he uses a great illustration about a chicken and a pig uh, walking down the street and they stopped at the grocery store and they saw a sign that it said on it, Needed. Um, eggs and bacon and the chicken and the pig look at each other and the chicken says well you know what I could give the eggs he says if you do the bacon and the pig says what are you nuts he says are you crazy that's all right for you he says all you have to do is contribute you just have to give the eggs he says I have to die so they can have the bacon it's a fair point it's a fair point Some contribute to God, don't they? They give an odd egg here and there, don't they? And sometimes they give a a few dozen eggs here and there. But it's a different thing when you have to climb up onto the altar and die, isn't it? It's when you have to up onto that altar and you have to die to the wants and the desires and the dreams. So will you do that? Will you stand up onto the altar and die? See, this is where I see people who are gifted and they, they don't mind the odd little bit of contribution. But when they have to sacrifice, that's different. It's the sacrifice. The sacrificial giving. It's hard. I, have, I could tell you what, my Judith and my Sarah, they're not here today and I'm glad because you know what? There's times I feel unbelievable amounts, humongous amounts of weight of guilt because I wasn't there for them, because I was looking after other people's children, serving the church when I should have been taking them away for the day, when I'd been with other children and going doing things with them, the guilt, when I'd been out working for myself when I should have been in the house with them, the guilt, oh, when Judith was getting married, she said to me one day, she said, you know, dad, you were never around. You know what? That stabbed me. And she was right. And she was absolutely right. There is that altar that you have to climb up onto to sacrificial giving. 
someone said to me one not so long ago, um, we're thinking of having a young people's weekend away, I don't know what it is, and you know, would you be willing to maybe come along to it? And I said, no. I'm 55, I can't do without my sleep at night, are you joking? I can't do without sleep at night. Oh, I used to take young people away for the weekends. Look, Tanya's laughing because she was there with me and she was doing those things. You know what? The crack was great, but oh boy, I tell you, these young people don't know what it is to sleep. At four in the morning, they were battering around the place, you know. And I'm walking down, you know, and saying, Get to bed, you know, go to bed. There's the sacrificial giving. To climb up on that altar and do for the Lord. Tony Evans says in his book, and, and he's right to say this too. Um, he says in his book that many people today too many people today want to be a part-time Christian but expect God to give them a full-time blessing part-time Christian for a full-time blessing God expects us to give our all and if you're gifted you have to use it God expects you to use your gifting in the church and I can say this really honestly I can say this this church the people in this church give. You know, don't hold back. Give. Are you giving God your time, your gifts, your talents and your treasure? Are you doing it? Are you giving him your all? You have a purpose. Then there is the perseverance and the privilege. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 and 24 says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross, follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save, will be saved. Losing yourself for the Lord. Oh, I could write the book on this, folks. You know, the, the, the perseverance, the, the purpose that God has brought you into. Walking in through the door of the church sometimes thinking, oh Lord, you know what, I'm so tired. Oh Lord, I'm so tired. Do I really have to do this? Can I not get somebody else to do this for a change? Can I not sit at home and watch TV for a bit? Um, can I not be at home just doing something different? Every night of the week you're out doing stuff. Because I was. I was out worship practice one night, helping out with the girls' brigade and another night. Then you were out on a Wednesday night for the Bible study. Thursday night you kind of had to yourself. But we're doing things in the house, you know. It, you know, you have to get things done around the house. You've got Murray and I both working, so... You know, our family growing up had to help you know, clean the house, do the cooking and things like that. It's a, it's a modern home. My mother brought me up like that. She was great. She had five brothers who couldn't cook for themselves. She had five sons. She made, every, made sure every one of them could iron, cook and clean, wash. You know, hated that part of it when I was growing up because I had to cook. But now I love it. I love cooking. But you know what? God expects us to give our all. And he wants you to give, he wants you to give your all, your purpose. He's brought you into a purpose in life. And you know what? He's given me a great purpose in it. And I love it. Now I'm at a stage in life where I can encourage other people. And I look back and I can tell you of all the pitfalls that I've made. Wow, I've made some pitfalls. Oh boy, I've made some pitfalls in my time. I really have. Said things sometimes to, to other Christians that I totally regret. And I've gone back and said, listen, I've said stuff to you and I'm so sorry. And I've learned a lot about graciousness. Being gracious. I've learned a lot about holding my tongue and not firing back. And people who have been giving me a hard time have learned how to step back. You know, I remember preaching in a church one Sunday morning. I went to the door to shake hands with everybody. And this lady said to me, she said, you see that mission praise you were singing out of? Next time you come back here, don't ever sing out of that again. She says, we sing out of the hymn book. And I could feel myself welling up. 
welling up. And I said, Lord, please help me to be gracious to this lady. So I lifted the mission praise book and I lifted the hymn book and I said to her, and I knew these numbers off by heart because I knew, and I said to her, in that hymn book, I says, I want you to look up to God be the glory. And um, she said, why? And I says, just look it up in the book. And, she, and I says, read the second verse. And she read it. And I says, now look up mission praise. And I says, now read the second verse. I says, is there a difference in them? She said, yes, there is. I said, yeah. I says, because they politically corrected the one in the hymn book. But I said, Fanny J. Crosby's words are as they are in this mission praise. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. In the hymn book, they thought this was awful to write that word. And they put in it to every believer who believes, to everyone who believes the promise of God. The vilest offender. I says, do you see the reason why I use this? Oh, I've never seen that before. The graciousness of God. I remember being in one church one Sunday morning. <laughs> the choice of words weren't good. Okay. So I said to everybody, let's praise the Lord this morning. Let's give him our all. Give it a gutty. Give it the gutty. Give it the pedal. Put your foot on the pedal. And this lady met me on the door on the way out and she was awfully polite. And she says to me, in this church we don't give it the gutty, she said. We sing with feeling. So the next time I was back in the church, I said, I apologize because I used the word the gutty. So today I want you to give it the gutty, but do it with feeling. <laughs> and I could see everybody smiling in the church. God has been so good to learn me so much, to teach me a lot. And I hope today, number one, that you have a purpose. Number two, that you pursue that with great perseverance. Number three, it's a privilege. It's the greatest privilege to serve God. And if he's blessed you with gifts, please, please, please use them. If you're listening on the podcast, it is a privilege to serve God. And I love it. I absolutely love it. And Tuesday night, I was spending time with young people in the girls' brigade. And it's great. And, and you know, I'm, every time you'll hear me talking to Caitlin and I'll say to her, well, chicky lump, and she'll tell me, and I'm proud of it. That's what I love about the young people. It's a privilege to serve them. And I love it because I hope one day that they're going to take on the mantle that I had, only do it better than me. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, I just pray for all of us in this room today, for those who are listening perhaps on a podcast somewhere, that, Lord, they'll find their purpose. And no matter what's the hardest time that they're getting, that they will persevere with it. And that, Lord, they will realize it's the greatest privilege in the world to serve you. Lord, Bless us today as we do that for you in this church. Lord, we sang this morning that you would give us a move, Lord. That the Holy Spirit will come fill this place. Lord, will you come fill our lives. Move us, Lord, to do the greatest things for you ever. And Lord, we thank you that your word, Lord, sustains us. It gives us great sustenance, Father. And it allows us to become the people that you want us to be. Father, thank you for this privilege. Thank you, Lord, for your purpose. Now, Lord, let us pursue that in Jesus' name. Amen.